Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, and joining me now is the face of sports betting in Georgia. I'm talking about Prince Ali. Prince, welcome to Half the Battle. What's up, brother? How are you? Doing amazing, man. So, you know, it, it's interesting because I've known you over a decade and I can sit here on the show, I can talk you up, I can, you know, say all these things, but I want them to hear you talk. I don't want them to hear me talk about you. I just want them to hear you talk about sports betting, about poker, about you. You're a UFC fan too. This is an MMA show, so there's a lot to talk about, and uh, I'm excited to get down to business, my man. Ten-year friendship in the making, boys since 2000, what, six? A long time. I mean, over ten years, so. Yeah, my man, and uh, it's exciting to watch you grow your side and watch you grow your following, and I know you've been happy for me seeing me, you know, build my business and do everything from ground up, and happy to watch us grow together absolutely now it's time to talk about it man so by the time you were 23 years old I, it's, it's really 21 but we'll talk about that poker tournament you won when you were 23 but really by the time you were 21 you were already bringing in six figures but even prior to that you know you'd be sneaking out of class playing poker doing the whole bit eventually started running your own sports book so let's just take it back a little bit where did this all start yeah man it all started in high school bro we would go on like the weekend nights just to our friend's place and play for fun and back at that time, like, we were buying in for, like, 10 and $20, just, like, you know, like, small money. But back then, me and my best friend, basically the ones at the game that were consistently winning. And we basically noticed that, you know, it's poker is not just a game of luck, that the guys that consistently can make the right move at the right time are the ones that are going to end up consistently winning. Luck is a factor, but... Like in any form of gambling, if you can form an edge for yourself and you do that consistently, you're going to kill it and can, and make money on a consistent basis. So, you know, the whole thing started back then and everybody else kind of stopped playing. And when I got to college, I decided to keep playing because I was doing pretty well at the time. And gradually it turned into something more serious. Like I, uh, I don't know if you remember when I used to work at that Persian restaurant, I was like right out of high school. And... Um, you know, I used to do these deliveries on Wednesday night and Friday night to this poker game that all these uh, older Persian guys used to play at. And I, I mean, knowing how to play poker, I decided to just hop in the game one day and play. What was the buy-in? The buy-in at the time was like, I think 500 maybe, or maybe 300 or 500, which was not a small amount of money for me back then because I was working in a fucking restaurant. So I hopped into the game one day after making a delivery there. And the first night I played, I won $700. And I was like, wow, fuck this. I'm done working at, at this <laughs> restaurant. I was like, I'm just going to come over here and play with these guys. Because they were all older businessmen. And none of them were playing poker, like, seriously. They were all just kind of, you know, time away from home and from their wives and shit. So I was like, okay, well, I won $700. I'm going to quit my job. I quit and I started playing there three days a week on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And before I knew it, after a few months, I saved up like 20 grand. And I was like, wow, dude, I'm going to take this shit seriously because... I mean, I see these guys clearly playing like shit, and they're constantly losing. And I was, you know, I, I wouldn't win 100% of the time, but I did decently well. And, you know, I noticed that the same guys would lose over and over and over, and the same guys would win over and over and over. And that's because skill is a very significant factor in, in poker and gambling in general. So that's where it all started, and it turned into this. One weekend when I was like 23 years old, I was at home by myself with my girlfriend and uh, I was looking online just like randomly to see what kind of tournaments there were in the area and I found this tournament that was like a $1,700 buy-in in, in uh, Biloxi, Mississippi at the Beau Rivage. And, uh, Is that the one that you and I went to? Because we went to Biloxi one time as well when we were on that Gulf Shores trip. We also yeah, took a bro. trip down to the casinos yeah, in Biloxi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We went to that. Yep, that's right. And uh, you know, I, I told my girl, I was like, listen, I'm going to go, I'm going to go drive to this tournament. It's like a six hour drive. I was like, I just really feel like going and playing this tournament. This was the Brazilian girl. This was Ellie, Persian girl. The Persian girl. Yeah. yeah. And she was, uh, she was like, no, like, I don't want you to leave. You're going to leave me at, your, at the house all weekend by, by myself. And, and we ended up getting into a fight about it. But I was like, fuck this. You know, I just really felt like playing. So I left and I went and I got a lot of shit from my girl about it, but I went and one day went by, the tournament was a three-day event. So the first day went by and I survived and I texted her, I'm still in it. And then the second day went by and the third day came and I was still in the tournament. And at the end of the third day was the final table. 
And this is actually a really significant tournament because this is the tournament that I went to that not only put me in the map in Atlanta because now everybody knew I won six figures and I had like enough money for my business and for sports and stuff to take basically anybody's bet in town and credibly be able to pay people out. But also, um, this is where I met my man with, uh, I was telling you about the, the, the college college basketball handicapper so this is where i met him and he was at the table with tell me. him how much he makes how much he brings in a year this guy i mean bro he's you know when you when you're the best at anything you do in this country specifically this country when you're the best at anything you do it doesn't matter what you do you rise to the top and you can make millions in truly anything and this dude is absolutely the goat of college basketball handicapping and he i know he's multi-millionaire brings in millions has a huge following on his website, costs a lot of money to buy his picks, and I mean, he's a boss, bro. He deserves every dollar he makes because he is the best at what he does, for sure. So you got into that fight with your girlfriend, you ended up going to the tournament, come back home with uh, six figures. What was the buy-in, firstly, for that uh, tournament? 1700 1700 So, I mean, were you just thinking, like, shit, if I lose this, like, what am I going to do next? Or, like, what was going through your mind? I mean, shit, at the time, it's not like the 1700 was, like, all my money but it was it was significant but it wasn't like a huge part of my you know bankroll but after winning i mean that 100k really put me on the map you know we got down to the last three guys and that's when i recognized that the last two players that were with me were actually professionals and we decided to chop the prize pool three ways so all three of us walked away with an equal amount but before that point everybody that i was playing with was an amateur and when you're playing against amateurs, you have an edge. So so it was a great tournament to, to play in because I was playing against a bunch of people that aren't playing poker for a living, and that's where I have my biggest edge. Like like anything, if you're if you're fighting against somebody and you and you, you want to win, obviously it's better to fight somebody who's not as experienced as you or anything. So I was looking around the, the tournament room and I was like, damn dude, I can just tell by looking at people if they're good or bad at poker, really. I mean that sounds kind of dumb, but it's like I got a really good eye for just being able to, if I play with anybody for just five minutes, I can just point out all the pros and all the amateurs at the table within the first five minutes. So a lot of people talk about that. There's social cues, there's body language, uh, just the way you play. How do you interpret different signs from different people? Well, honestly, right now in this day and age, the first thing that you want to, the first thing you notice at a poker table, if somebody's good or bad, is basically if they're young or older, because now the young generation of poker has risen to the top. Because we're the ones that have, you know, the game got, first of all, poker blew up in like, um, I don't know if you remember, do you, you remember seeing poker on TV a lot, the World Series of Poker, of like course. around the time we were probably 10 years ago? Yeah. It blew up when this guy named Chris Moneymaker, he was actually from Georgia too, he won the World Series of Poker, the main event, and won like a few million dollars. And, you know, when he was at the poker table, at the final table, and it was televised, he was at a table full of pros. And he was like one of the only amateurs at the table. And the reason poker blew up was because this amateur was at the table with a bunch of pros and he's the one that ends up winning. And everybody's like, damn, well, if this guy can do it, we can do it because there is a luck factor. So that's when poker just blew up. And the year after that, the World Series of Poker had record numbers every year after that, all the way up until like 2011 or 12, every year there was record buy-ins, like more and more and more, and it just blew up. And yeah, that's that's how poker got on the map. So you were going to this game about two or three times a week. This is before you won the 100K. This yeah. is you know back when you were working at the Persian restaurant. So you go to this spot, and you end up beating a lot of these guys that play regularly. Now, how were you able to do that? Was this due to, because I know that you've read books in the past. I know you've studied. I know you put the work in. So going into those games against regular players, how were you able to overcome them and win? Man, honestly, they played a lot, but, you know, they consistently make basic mistakes, like fundamental mistakes. And, you know, even though I wasn't the player that I am now back then, I was better than my competition. And in poker, if you're better than your competition, you're going to, you know, with a large sample size, you're going to end up winning. So I was able to adjust to the game and take advantage of their mistakes. And it's funny because those guys still play poker, but... I don't really play with them that much anymore because the buy-in is... Back then, it was too big for me, but now it's too small. So, you know, you're saying that buy-in is too small. So what kind of buy-ins are you dealing with these days? Yeah, the games that I'm playing in today are like, you know, usually around 
like a thousand minimum buy-in or two thousand maybe but i mean with basically an unlimited cap buy-in like you know you can buy in for anything you want really if a guy wants to come down and sit down with 50k he can what's um, the most you've ever bought in on a, on a game the most i've ever lost altogether was around 50k in one night and actually my biggest win i've ever had was um like three months ago i won like 60k holy shit yeah, I've had I've had 50k lost twice, and I've had a 50k or more win three times so far, not including tournaments. I've won 100k in a tournament once, and I won 50k in a tournament online, like maybe twice, and you know, like some other small numbers, like 17, not small, but smaller numbers, 17k, 20k, stuff like that. So you mentioned the World Series of Poker. Now this is one that's still on your goal to be number one at. You've gone there. Haven't made it to the number one spot yet, but just the fact that you've been in the World Series of Poker, uh, no uh, chumps are just going in there and playing in that game. So what's that experience like? Yeah, man, the World Series of Poker is such an incredible experience. If you're a poker player, I mean, it is just so much awesome fun. You, you go out there, I go to Vegas every single year for about six weeks. The whole World Series of Poker lasts for right under two months. I usually take like a week off in between and come back home. But go out there, there's a whole bunch of tournaments ranging from smaller buy-ins to the big, uh, the main event, which is a $10,000 buy-in, which I've played every year, except for last year, which is the only year that I didn't go. And we'll get into that later. That was a really bad year in sports and my business last year is the reason I missed it. But every year besides last year, I've gone and it is just a fucking awesome adrenaline rush. I play a whole bunch of tournaments ranging from $1,000 buy-ins to two to five to 10, you know play poker every day you don't have to play a tournament every day but there's tons of like cash games you know the difference between cash game and regular uh tournament poker they might not though okay so cash game poker is the type of poker that i was playing in the beginning with those uh persian guys from like the restaurant houses going to people's yeah houses. private private games private homes um it's basically you buy in with cash you get the same amount that you buy in for in chips so like a 500 dollars buy-in you'll get 500 dollars in chips you can come and go as you please if you buy in for 500 and an hour later you have like two thousand dollars in chips in front of you you can get up and leave so you make 1500 whereas in a tournament there is um only one winner one first place winner who wins the biggest prize you get everybody gets the same amount of chips. So in the ten thousand dollar buy-in, the main event over uh, the summer in Vegas, you buy in for ten thousand and they give you fifty thousand chips. However many players there are in the tournament, you uh, they cash out like ten percent of the field. So if there's ten thousand players, uh, the first thousand players get paid out. So about nine thousand players get nothing. You bust out, you lose, you can't come back in. So that's the main difference between cash games and tournament poker. You can always come back in in a cash game. You can't come back in in a tournament. Once you lose those chips, you're out because there has to be a winner. So 10% of the field gets paid. First place usually gets about like 18 to 20% of the total prize pool. And then it you know drops down lower and lower from there. So second place will get you know half that. Third place will get, you know, and it just keeps dropping down. Usually the the like for example in that tournament the person who gets like 1000th place will get usually double the buy-in so you know gradually it'll go up from every person from there so you mentioned how once you got that six-figure win under your belt then you were able to be like hey like i don't just want to be a poker player now i want to run my own book how'd you make that transition from poker to sports betting man um you know i actually had started it before i won that tournament but after I won the tournament, it really put me on the map more in the gambling community here. The I had, face. Yeah, I had much more credibility because everybody knew I just won 100K. So, you know, like they're like, well, if we bet with this guy and we win 10 or 20 grand, he definitely has the money to pay us. Um, it brought me business that way. And it also, you know, put me on the map. It made my poker bankroll bigger. So I was able to comfortably play in the bigger games. Like before that, I was never playing in like the really bigger games in Atlanta. And, um, yeah, it, I mean, it was a huge, huge, significant day of my life. So once you started your book, I mean, how, how did that even start? You want to talk about that process? 
Yeah, I had a I had a friend that I made in poker, and he was uh, he was playing in some of the bigger games in Atlanta, and we became friends. But he wasn't actually playing on his own money. He was having uh, his really good friend investing on him, basically like using his money to put him into the poker games. And they had a deal where if uh, he made money, they would split that money, and if he lost money, he would basically be in what's called makeup, which means like. If I, for example, put you, Daniel, into a poker game and I say, here's five grand tonight to play with and you go play and you lose the five grand, well, now you have $5,000 makeup, which means the next time you play, you have to make that $5,000 back before we split any profits. Okay. So they had that kind of business arrangement. That guy um, was older than me and he was way more experienced in gambling than I was and we used to hang out a lot. He was one of my best friends. And he came up with the idea. He was like, man, do you want to start a website together? Because he didn't have money, and I did. And he said, do you want to start a sports website together where people can bet on it? And, you know, I didn't really know anything about it, but, I, you know, I trusted his judgment. And he was a pretty smart guy, so I went with it. And together we would, you know, go around and play in a lot of poker games in Atlanta together. And basically everybody in Atlanta that plays poker or gambles knows of me. So... We knew a lot of people, and the two go hand in hand together. Um, most people that play poker bet on sports, you know, and we picked up a lot of clients, a lot of people that bet on games with us. So, you know, it started from there, and eventually me and him had a falling out, and we went our separate ways. Now I've been continuing to do that on my own. So one thing I wanted to talk to you about was when you started that book, because you had that 100K. Now, let's say people came in there and they won that much off of you. You could have gone bankrupt right off the bat. Yeah, absolutely. One of the most important things in gambling is uh, bankroll management. And if you don't have bankroll management, it does not matter how much money you have. Eventually, in gambling, you will go broke. So, you know, I've seen people in gambling with millions of dollars go broke, and I've seen people with small bankrolls consistently build their bankroll and do the right thing and, you know, not go broke because bankroll management is absolutely probably the one of the most, I would put it in the top two or three most important things if you want to gamble for a living. What's the most important? Discipline? Yeah, I mean, discipline and bankroll management kind of go hand in hand, but I mean, understanding, like just gambling common sense you know like if being a winner putting yourself in a situation where you have an edge because you can be as disciplined and you as you want and go into a casino and play roulette or play craps or play blackjack doesn't matter how disciplined you are you're putting yourself in a negative ev situation and ev is expected value so if you're putting yourself in a position to lose it doesn't really matter how disciplined you are you're going to lose but if you're putting yourself in a position where you're expected to be have a positive uh, expected value, then you know you have to have bankroll management, and you know you'll continue to make money. Uh, I mean, it's easy to talk about money management, bankroll management, uh, expected value, and all these things, but for the novice gambler or even someone that thinks they're better than they really are, how do they really apply these things to their game? Yeah, that's uh, that's where I would say those are things that experience doesn't really you know these are things that you have to learn for poker there's specific rules that you can learn in basically any basic poker book that you pick up in the bookstore um, for playing tournaments they say that you really shouldn't ever play a tournament that's more than one percent of your bankroll that's like uh, one unit one unit yeah so basically one unit in sports would be like one percent of your bankroll in poker if you have a hundred thousand dollar bankroll you should not be playing a tournament more than a thousand dollars for example one beauty to poker is that 90% of players in poker think that they're better than everybody else. So that's a big reason why a lot of the games go all the time and poker has become such a big thing because everyone thinks that they're the best. But if you don't take the time to recognize that you're actually making mistakes, then you're going to continue making those mistakes over and over. So it's very important to not think that you're the best at something and actually recognize that you are making certain mistakes. And with anything, you have to put time into it and practice and get better. When you talk about getting an edge, now a lot of people like to throw that word around. Oh, I have an edge. But I feel like they don't really understand what that means. Can you explain uh, what it really means to have an edge? Yeah. Especially so, in sports betting. So in sports, like, um, you know, first of all, the house has an edge in everything, as you and I both know. So, I mean, 
for example, in sports, um, if you want to make a bet on a basketball game, for example, let's talk UFC okay. so they can understand. Well, I mean, I'll have to give you a better example okay. in with sports first to understand okay. where the edge comes from. The house has an edge, and what's the edge? The edge is the juice, right? So I can give an example in UFC, actually. So if, for example, you have um, two even fighters, right? Like they're 50-50 coin flip. The line would be minus 110 on both sides, right? So the house has an edge because they're exactly 50-50, but when you lose you're paying 10% more on a loss. So if we were to sit here and flip a coin, every time you flip the coin and you lost uh, and you paid me $11, and every time you won, I paid you 10, who would win? You. I would win. Because you got the 11, I got 10. Exactly, a dollar more. So if we <laughs> yeah. sat here and flipped the coin for an hour, I mean, by the end of that hour, we should be about 50-50. You should win 50% of the time, but every time you're losing, you're paying me a dollar more. That's the house edge. So that's where I'm getting my edge on my website, and that's where I'm getting my edge on every bet that's placed on my site. So in order to try to get an edge against the house, you in sports, the best thing you can do is try to beat the, the closing line. If you're getting an edge on the closing line consistently, that would be like consistently, that would be like me getting an edge against a player in poker consistently. So your object would be to beat the closing line, and you consistently do that, you're going to win. And for me, it would be to get my money in in the poker game with the best hand. And if I can consistently do that and have like a 60 or 70% chance to win against my opponents every time, well, you know, I'm going to win seven times, and I'm going to lose only three, and I'm going to make money the same way you would. There's something we got to address here for the people listening, because I feel like a lot of these up-and-coming bettors, they don't really have emphasis, and they don't know the importance of the closing line value. For them, they just feel like, okay, as long as I'm picking the right side, that's all that matters. They don't even care about the line. You know, to them, it's like, well, if I get a good line, cool, but as long as I'm picking the right side, the winning side, that's all that matters. But I want you to explain why long-term it is imperative to get the best line possible. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I would say in sports, like I, I told you, I'm telling you about the guys that I do business with, the college basketball handicappers, and they consistently beat every single closing line. And that is the number one important factor for winning in sports gambling. So if they bet a line, and that line is, uh, let's say, plus five on a college basketball team, once they hit that line and bet plus five, it's no longer available in the in the marketplace. You can only bet it at like plus two or plus one. Where they're betting it at plus five, you can no longer bet it at plus five. So they're getting about a four-point edge on every single game they bet. Where in MMA, if you were to do the same thing and bet a guy, uh, an MMA fighter, at like minus 200, and now the line moves to like minus 250, and if you can do that on a consistent basis, you will come out ahead for sure. The sharp guys that I deal with right now, if they get a line that's half a point off of the line that they feel is the correct bet, they will pass on that line, which can also translate into MMA lines because half a point is equivalent to 10 cents on a line. So in your situation, if you feel like a correct bet on a fighter would be plus 150 and the line is plus 170, well, you're getting 20 cents in positive value, where if the line was like plus 140, that should be a pass, and your and your clients shouldn't be betting it at plus 140. They should only be betting it at the correct line, which is above 150, for example. Or you could, I mean, if you wanted to guarantee yourself money, you could bet the opposite side after the line has moved and guarantee yourself money because the line on the dog would move as well. Very true. That's a quick way to get 10K, huh? That would be a quick way to, I mean, you could do that every every single fight and be guaranteed money if you can beat the closing line. The same way the college basketball guys, if they bet plus five and then the line will move to plus one in a college basketball game, if they come back and bet minus one, now they have a four-point middle where they can't lose. They can only lose the juice if it doesn't land in between those those numbers. So if the, if the game doesn't end between one and five, they lose only 10% of their bet on the juice. But if they if it lands in the middle, they win both bets. So, I mean, if you're good at math, it's pretty simple to figure out that, you know, they would only have to win one out of every 20 bets to just break even by falling into the middle. Because when they win it, when they win the bet on, on both sides, they're winning two units, right? right? They win one unit on minus one and one unit on plus five. But if they 
if they lose, they only lose 10% because they win one bet and they lose the other bet. So they only have to win one out of every 20 times because they win two units. But this is uh, contingent on these big line movements. This you know, is contingent on 50 line cent movement. line movements, 40 cent line movements, things like yeah. that. Yeah, but if you can consistently get, I mean, the line only has to move about 30 or 40 cents for you to just guarantee yourself to break even. If it moves anything more than that on a like on a money line spread in MMA, then you can guarantee yourself money. And if you can guarantee yourself money, I mean, I would say why not take it? Even as a gambler, the object of the game is to make money, right? So yes. if you can guarantee yourself money, why not? I agree. So what's your opinion on parlays? And as someone who runs your own book, you see literally all the mistakes that these gamblers make. You see all the... The opposite of mistakes, all the right things they're doing. So what kind of success rate do parlays have in your book? Man, to be honest with you, um, you know, if I have a new player, somebody that wants to come bet with me, and I see them betting parlays, my eyes light up. <laughs> it's, it's just... So is know, it really a bookmaker's dream? It is It is the dummy bet. Them, uh, parlays and teasers are the dummy bet. If, if I see anybody betting parlays with me, I will never, ever say no to that. I don't care if they win 10 weeks in a row. I'll never say no because it is the dummy bet. If I see a guy comes in and starts betting straight bets only and I see he's consistently betting the same unit on every single bet and he's consistently beating the lines by even a point or two, well, I know this guy's doing something right and he's getting some sort of good information or he is a good handicapper himself. And I'll give that about a few days before I cut it off. <laughs> and I don't give a shit if they lose. I'll still cut it off because eventually they're going to be on the right side of the coin. Now you say that, but you have guys in your book now that some have owed you upwards of 700K. One guy. So, I mean, well, others are, you know, are 100K, right? So I'm just saying it's all over the board. Some owe you 50K, but I've seen it as high as 700K. So I'm just saying, how do you determine like this guy's done? You know, because people risking that much, are they really betting parlays? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's the big losers. Yeah. Big, people that are losing really, really big are betting a lot of parlays for sure. But, I mean, you know, I let somebody go. If I, I you, In this business, you got to be a pretty good judge of character. You know, if, you, if I see somebody that has been playing with me for a long time and it's always been good for the money and now, you know, he's in a certain situation where he can't pay me right away or whatever... You know, I just got to be a good judge of character. If I feel like this person will pay me, then, you know, I'll let them continue. And if I feel like some people are scumbags or whatever, I don't, I won't even take their bets on credit. I'll make them put the money up front because my reputation is established in town. Everybody knows me that plays. Everybody. So they know that when they win, they get their money right away. No excuses, no bullshit, no nothing. Here's your money in an envelope. So I'm sure one thing that the fans would like to know is how do you get someone to pay you? When, when they owe you upwards of 700K, let alone the guys that owe you little 50K. And I say little, that's a lot. There's people that that can collect for me if I have to resort to that, which is a last resort for me. If, if I see people that come and just straight fuck me over, win some money for me, and then lose and won't pay me, well, that's that's like complete disrespect. And if I have to, I will chase that money and do what I have to do to collect it. Where on the other on the other hand, I if I if somebody pays me and they aren't able to pay me the whole amount, but they do make efforts and consistently make payments to me and are willing to show an effort to do the right thing, then I'll let it go. It's not that big of a deal. So one funny story that I want to talk about, and this this is one of your famous stories. I know you got a lot of them, but uh, at one of these underground poker game, at one of these underground uh, poker games that you were playing at, the cops actually showed up. A lot of people got arrested. Uh, I heard you got away. What happened there? Yeah, so first off, poker poker is not really illegal unless you're actually, um, you know, if you're playing for real money and the house is uh, making money, the house, the guy that's running the game, that that would that that falls under commercial gambling, which is uh, a felony. But um, the players are not committing any felonies. They're they are just their charges are misdemeanor charges. So the person that's running the game, that's the, the person that's running the game is. Uh, has the biggest risk okay. so yeah we were at a game one day and there was a guy that uh started yelling pretty loud that night and it happens there's 10 dudes at a table with a freaking you know sports game on and the tvs are on and there's it's just loud but 
one night we were over there in Dunwoody and this guy was yelling. There was a, a noise complaint from upstairs, which is what we found out later. We didn't know originally, but the, one of the people upstairs that lived in the apartment above where the game was called the police and said that it's pretty loud downstairs. So they came and knocked on the door. And when they knocked on the door, obviously we always look through the hole to see who it is. And the game host was like, oh shit, it's the police. So he was telling everybody with his hands and stuff to like, you know, keep it down, not make much noise. And uh, everyone kind of started freaking out. And it's funny because I brought my dog with me that night. And, and as soon as they knocked on the door, like my dog started barking and just everybody just went silent. And all they could hear was my dog barking. But, um, you know, I was looking, we were on the ground floor with, uh, it wasn't like, it's not like the ground ground floor, but there's like a balcony. And uh, it's, I would say it's probably like a five foot drop. I looked out the back and there was a gate to get into the community from the back in the backyard. And uh, I saw I saw a car over there and I didn't know if it was a cop or what, but I, you know, I was looking outside and I was looking at my friend's phone, which was on the poker table who runs the game and it said gate on this phone. And then I realized that it was definitely a player calling to come to the game when I saw the, when I saw gate on the guy's phone. So I took a good look outside and I was like, well, it looks like the coast is clear, man. So I told everyone inside, I was like, guys, why don't we jump off, you know, the ba- the balcony and just run out of here and, you know, we can't get in trouble. And everybody was so like, it was, everyone was just freaking out. So they weren't really thinking clearly, but the, the game host was like, no, don't open the door. Don't make a commotion. And I was like, dude, I was like, I'm going to get the fuck out of here, bro. I was like, I don't give a shit. You're not going to hold me back. So I opened the door. I grabbed my dog and I jumped over and I ran out to the car that was at the call box And we hopped into the car and I was like, bro, the police are at the door. I was like, get out of here. So we left and a few other people jumped off and left and we all got out of there. And I shit you not, as we pulled out of the neighborhood, I saw three uh, Dunwoody police SUV cars. They just pulled into the back and they saw they saw that the door was open and they just went right up to the door and didn't let anybody else get out. And everybody that was there got arrested, bro. Didn't you say a couple people were able to get out, but then they went back an hour later to get their cars and the cops were still there? Yeah, man. It was more like three hours later, about like three or four hours later, a few of the guys that jumped off and left with me, we all met up at this one of our friend's house that was close by and we were all over there, just couldn't believe what happened. And they were like, well, I guess it's been like three or four hours. We should be good by now. So they drove back to the apartment complex and tried to get their cars. You know, the police were still there and they were, one of them was in the parking deck and they saw a few guys pull in to get their cars and they stopped them to talk to them. And obviously you can't just get arrested for, you know, walking up somewhere and getting your car. But what happened was, is there was a piece of paper inside of the apartment when the game was going on and they, uh, you know, it had everybody's name on it with how much money they had bought in for and all that on all that stuff, you know, that every game does. And uh, they matched up their names to their to the guys that pulled back to get their cars. And because their names were on that paper, they had probable cause to arrest them. Wow. Yeah. Sucks for them. Fucking amateur move. Yeah. At least they were able to get out, you know, the next day or so. But yeah. Yeah. Everybody got bailed out. Uh, everybody got bailed out. And, you know, nobody was charged with anything. They, obviously, we got a lawyer and they took care of that. Um, for sure so as someone who runs your own book professional poker player professional sports gambler so you know the importance of winning long term because you haven't just been in this for one year you've been in this over a decade so you've seen people go through their skids you've seen people go through their win streaks so what's your opinion on winning long term and people having skids and all that yeah my man um you know losing is part of gambling it doesn't matter how good you are it doesn't matter if you're the best handicapper in the world. I mean, everybody has ups and downs. And, you know, you can sit here and flip a coin 20 times and you might flip the wrong side. You might call tails 20 times in a row and it might land on heads 20 times in a row. There's no telling, right? It's, it's gambling. So, um, you know, you have to adhere to those bankroll management rules. And if you don't, that's what can break you. I mean... You know, you got to be able to keep a level head. A lot of times people start losing, start freaking out. They got weak stomachs and they, they can't handle the losses. So that's all, all that shit comes with experience. You got to be able to keep a level head, not lose your mind when you're losing. Don't go on tilt, as they say in poker and sports betting, you know, try to try to keep a calm level head and just do the right thing. If you're on, if you're doing the right thing, you will make money in the long run, but anybody can have a bad run. Like, I had a horrible run last year, so it can happen to anybody. But if you have the bankroll to outlast the bad run, 
you'll prosper. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of people don't understand what you mean when you say long-term. Because for them, long-term might be six months to a year. But for us, long-term is a decade, bro. Long-term, I mean, you know, long-term can... You want to... A long-term will be more than a decade. I mean, I want to be on the be in this for more than a decade. The rest of our know? lives. Forever. I want to be on the right side of this for, for as long as I can. But when I say the short-term, I mean, you can have a bad run in a short-term time. That short-term time can actually last for a really long time. Like, I never thought that I would have the year that I did in 2018 for the whole fucking year. I mean, it lasted the entire year. And I'm the house. I have the edge. I'm not supposed to lose in the long run, right? But, I mean, I lost the entire year. So if I didn't have the bankroll to be able to, to, to last and keep going, then I would have had to stop, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you got to have the bankroll. You got to be able to last through the bad runs, and the bad runs can last a really long time, unfortunately. So, so that's just credit to the discipline and the money management. Yeah, I mean, everyone can do a better job at money management. I mean, when you make money, you want to spend it. That's just natural, right? Like, if you have money, you want to spend it, but you gotta, you gotta, you know, not blow your load. Why do you think people are so tempted when they have a bad night to they start chasing, they start live betting, they start betting on other sports, they do the whole bit? Why why do you think that happens instead of just being like, all right, gotta calm down, take a breath, come back for the next That's day? That's it, bro. That's the same thing that happens in all forms of gambling. I mean, in poker and sports and everything. I mean, I have tons of experience in poker and I have tons of experience in sports. And, you know, when I see people that bet with me, and I see guys that are losing. I mean, they are one person when they're winning, and they're one person when they're losing. Like, you know, everybody will eventually lose their mind and start going crazy. I see guys that 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 so disciplined when they're winning, but as soon as they start losing a little bit, they will start putting in parlays. They'll start betting live. They'll start betting this and that. And you'll think it's a different person that's betting, but it's just you know this guy has no control over himself when he's losing. You know, so you got to keep that level ahead. I mean that that's also a part of bankroll management keeping that level head and not losing your fucking mind if you do you're gonna go broke 100 percent. what percentage of players beat the books long term i would say less than one percent can beat the books it's very very difficult to beat the book long term but with that being said there are people that that do beat the book and you know and as i was saying before the most important thing is if you can get that edge what's the edge the edge is beating the lines. If you can beat the lines, you're gonna you're on the right side of things. But I mean, you know, like I do. I mean, crazy shit happens in MMA. Crazy shit happens in sports. I mean, you know, you could have a bad run and go on a skid for months, maybe even a, you know, long six months. But beating the lines is your number one determining factor that you're on the right side of the of the game. For sure. So, what's your opinion on uh, underdogs versus favorites? Well, honestly, for um, for MMA, I, I would always prefer betting dogs, man. I, I think that people that play big favorites are are definitely, you know, it's just so much risk for little reward. And if you can spot it, like, man, think about the guys that, that bet on Holly Holm that night against Ronda Rousey. I mean, you risk nothing and you win win a shit ton. You know, or even Amanda Nunes two weeks ago over a Cyborg. Yeah, I mean, what was that like plus two fifty, three hundred, something like that. Yeah, I mean, you always want to cash in on dogs. Dogs are just the way to go because if you have one one bad apple on a favorite, I mean, now you've dug yourself into a five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten unit hole, and you got to win ten bets to win your money back and. I think the right way to go about it is definitely, you know, picking out those those dogs that are undervalued. Yeah, I agree with you, man. I, I noticed that myself, you know, speaking about skids, 2018 was actually my worst MMA betting year. Only, you know, won like five units of profit, which the year before I won like 45 units, right? So it was my worst year by far. But one big difference I noticed was I bet more favorites this year and I didn't have as much success. But when I was betting dogs exclusively... That's when I was having my most success. Yeah, I mean, that relates to what I was just saying, bro. I mean, if you, I mean, did you dig yourself into holes like by betting like minus 300? Now you got to win three bets on a on a plus 100 just to break even, right? I mean, you don't want to dig yourself into holes. It's the shittiest thing you can do. And, 
you know, I really think that you can cash in on underdogs a lot better than favorites. Favorites, although they're supposed to win more often, if you can find those dogs that are undervalued, like, you know anybody that bet on Holly Holm? Not really. I mean, if you go back and look at it now, do you think that, you know, leading up to that fight, do you think that she was probably a bad matchup for Ronda Rousey? Now, after the fact, it's like... The I mean, worst matchup we, ever. The way we look at it now is like any good striker was a bad matchup for Ronda, right? It's just at the time she was this mythical the, creature. Exactly. But if we, you know, if we can find those bad matchups before they happen and cash in on those dogs, is where you're going to make your bread and butter. For sure. So, how do you how do things usually play out when everyone's on the same side? Like I know the answer to this, but I kind of want everyone to hear you talk about it because there's always that one, and it's usually a favorite where everyone's like, "Oh man, this guy's going to roll." Uh, you know, I think you were talking about a football game recently with Alabama. You, say, you said literally everyone bet Alabama Everybody. and then they got crushed. Yeah, man. It happens a lot. I mean, look, it's not never 100% of the time, obviously. Long term. But a lot, a lot of times when everybody, when the public is loading up on one side, usually people get smoked, bro. I mean, I remember I was in Vegas one summer. And I remember my book had a lot of people that had bet on it. I got to think of the fight, bro. But I'm, it was a women's fight. And I think it was Misha Tate against Holly Holm, I think. Wasn't Holly Holm a big favorite in that fight? Yeah, yeah. Bro, I remember everybody loaded up on Holly Holm against me. And, you know, most of the time when everyone loads up on one side, it's kind of nerve-wracking because you get a whole bunch of money on one side. And that's not exactly what you want as a, as a bookmaker. You want to have split action so you can guarantee yourself money. But... A lot of times when people load up on one side, bro, it usually doesn't end well for the public. It usually ends up in the house's favor, and that's usually a favorite. Like you said, I mean, Bama, everybody loaded up on Alabama. Everybody loads up on the same teams all the time. The Patriots, you know, the big-name teams, the Red Sox. I mean, all the big-name teams people load up on all the time. And I got to say, it doesn't usually end well for them. And they're digging themselves into a hole, like just like we said, bro. They're betting big money line favorites, big, you know. And once they lose one bet, they have to win like three or four bets to just to break even. So there's the famous quote that these big Vegas casinos weren't built off everyone being on the same side. So my question to you is, how come the majority of the time when everyone's on the same side, it seems to lose? Like why? Why does it work like that? Bro, I don't have the answer for you there. I mean, I just don't know why everybody bets on the same side all the time. It just the public loves betting on the same shit over and over, and I gotta say, it usually works out for the house's, you know, favor. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm, it's not. I'm not upset. With, I'm not upset with it when it happens at all. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not upset with it when people win either, because when people win, it's what draws them right back in to keep going. So, is it true that if you're good enough, there's no reason to go tout? No, absolutely not, bro. If that was the case, then then you know why would my my guy that I was telling you about be a college basketball handicapper? Why would he be selling his plays? I mean, this guy is selling his plays for $2,500 just for 75 plays for a season. Just one season. And he's got hundreds of people that are buying his plays. And he is the best. So why not? Why not help people make money? And why not help people be on the right side of things? I mean... Well, I feel like people that... I don't want to say are broke. But, you know, people that have some kind of opinion about gambling think that touts are... uh the devil or something like that i guess because there's a lot of frauds out there yeah that's true there are a lot of fucking frauds out there there's a lot of people that that won't post you know aren't transparent won't put the picks out there before the game start and want to put their picks out there after the games have ended and, <laughs> and act like they won all these games and stuff oh, man. so you really got to be careful but you can really tell if somebody is uh doing the right thing if they're beating that the line like you know when we were going over the you know, the, the fights and the picks that you were showing me, you were consistently beating the lines. And that's absolutely the number one important factor in being a being a handicapper. And, you know, the guy, the guy that I deal with does the exact same thing. And there's absolutely not. I don't agree with that at all. Why, why go tout? I absolutely believe that, you know, if you are doing the right thing, you have all the right in the world to help people make money and help make yourself money. Why not? And it's not just the guy you're talking about. What about a famous name, Billy Walters? Billy Walters is a fucking legend, bro. He's he's the GOAT. I mean, he is he also does college basketball handicapping, but his uh his biggest biggest wins were in NFL. And um you know, I can give you more names. There's plenty of guys out there. There's a dude named Steve Fezzik. He's pretty 
pretty famous for NFL handicapping. There's a guy named Herolibus Vulgaris, who's a po- professional poker player slash NBA handicapper, and he is the fucking man. Uh, like you said, Billy Walters, Edward Golden. Are you allowed to say that name? list goes on and on. Okay. <laughs> so you mentioned a couple ways to know if someone's a fraud, you know, if they're posting shit after the fact and then bragging about the results. But I've noticed that there's guys who appear to be doing things the right way, but they're actually frauding. And what I mean by that is, for example, there's this website I track my bets on, Bet MMA Tips, right? Great fucking website. I love it. Really helps me track everything and just see where my mistakes are, how to improve. But there's a leaderboard, right? And it's, you know, the top 500 and whatever. And when you look at some of the top guys that are ranked in the top 10 of that, and yeah, their records look amazing. Plus 300 units, 20% ROI, the whole bit. But then you look deep into those records and you see it's all uh, low limit props. So between you and me, because we actually know what's up, you know that you can't really get down much heavy action on these on these, you know, round three and by submission, by knockout, all these props. You can't get down real action. But then you see these guys going out there and they quote unquote won 100 units in one night. Well, to me, I just view it as you're the best $10 better of all time. But a real guy who's laying down, you know, a thousand unit, they can't get any action down on that. They can get fucking point one on that. Yeah, bro. I mean, all these crazy little props and stuff like that, that, that pay out big numbers and stuff 14 like- parlays. Yeah, first of all, anybody that's betting a 14 parlay, I would never trust, period, just to be honest with you. But um, second of all, the guys that are betting all these crazy props, uh, if you go on any sports betting websites, Chris, Sports 411, Pinnacle, I mean, any of these props that are paying paying like a lot of plus money, like plus 300, plus 400, or anything right, crazy. Plus like 2,500. That, plus 2,500. They all have very low limits on all these websites. So you can't really bet more than a few bucks or whatever, something small on any of these uh, you know, crazy props that pay out big numbers. They all are capped and limited. Not only are they capped and limited, they're only available in like three books. Yeah, that's true because a lot of books are not going to post crazy shit plus 2,500, plus 1,000. They, you know, Books are not really trying to put themselves in a position to get fucked like that. Yeah, 100%. So it just bothers me when – I mean, I say it bothers me. I mean, I'm doing fucking great, dude. Like even though I had a somewhat shitty year in 2018, overall, long term, I'm doing great. I have an awesome life. But when I see people talking about how, oh, this guy's the best better and that guy's the best better, I don't have a problem with people having their own opinions. But when I actually look at those records and I see that's how you're fucking up uh, that many units because, look, anyone can game their record, but no one can game their bankroll. Bro, anybody that's uh... – having a hundred units win in one night is just, that's just a red flag right there automatically. And on their losses, they got 40 to 50 unit losses per night. Like, you know what would happen if I had a 50 unit loss in one night? Yeah, that's, that's just a huge red flag right there automatically. Um, I got to give props to you for saying you've had a bad year and you've made five units because I, I'm not bullshitting you when I say I deal with the best, easily in the top three best college basketball handicapper in the world and I work for him directly and he is he's had he's had seasons where he's you know broke even or even been negative slightly and he is hands down the best guy there is so because he's in it for the long term he's got a 20-year track record exactly he's got a 20-year track record and he he is absolutely the best and anybody that is a professional a true professional gambler understands that bad runs happen they happen. I mean, it happens. It's part of the game. And to have your worst year as a five-unit win, that's, bro, I mean, anybody that's a true handicapper understands that that's, that's actually pretty amazing. I appreciate that, my man. So, dude, I mean, we've covered a lot. Uh, but before I let you go, I mean, dude, started from the bottom. Now we're no, here. We're here. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, making six figures by the time you're 21, winning the big poker tournament at 23, running your own book at 24. I mean, you're about to turn 30 later this year. I mean, what's next for you, man? Honestly, man, I'm just going to keep doing the same thing. You know, I had a, a lot of people that doubted me, a lot of people that thought that gambling is not the way to go. But Well, it's not for everyone. It's not for everyone, but, you know, I've shown I've shown that it's you know I'm living proof that you can you know be on the right side of this and make make good money out of it. So I don't you know I just want to continue making money and hopefully in the next few years also diversify and have multiple sources of income, be in different things and you know hopefully have multiple businesses and keep making money, man. 
be a hustler. When was the first time you went uh, into a car shop and gave them 50k cash for a BMW? Yeah, so I <laughs> bought three BMWs cash. And uh, my first one, unfortunately, it was really wet and kind of snowy and icy outside. I fucking wrecked it and totaled it and broke my neck. The day the day you got it? Yeah, same night, bro. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for reminding me. I remember that day. But yeah, I mean, I bought that one, then bought another one, and bought a third one because I love them. And uh, yeah, love cars, man. It's something I should probably chill out on with the money management. Yeah, well, it seems like you got everything under control. Is there anything else you want to tell the listeners of Half the Battle before we uh, get out of here? One piece of advice or just a thank you, just anything to them? Yeah, man, you uh, you guys have done very well. I got to give props to you for you know a, a positive year on your worst year. And for those people that think that you know, you're fucking up, you know, having a 25 unit unit win in a year is pretty solid. I mean, if you're betting, five unit, not 25. How much? Five unit. No, for your for your good years. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Twenty five and what, what were your other years like? 20? I had a forty four unit. Forty four was my best. Two thousand seventeen. Bro, I mean, you know, if you just think about it, for somebody who's betting fifteen hundred a game, I mean, you just made that guy like what for so forty four units, you just made him sixty six thousand dollars in one year on the twenty five unit year you made him thirty seven thousand dollars in one year and that's pretty fucking solid bro it's pretty good and the guy that's betting 1500 just made eight thousand dollars on your five unit year that's you know you can't complain if you're winning man you know you can't be upset about that shit people that people that think you're not doing great because you had a five unit year you know you just just strive for perfection bro that's it. Yeah, just try to improve, keep keep it going, and you know, do definitely keep trying to beat, keep beating that uh that closing line, man. You know, you've showed me some good stuff, so I'm impressed. That's the that's the plan, my man, Ali, Prince Ali. I appreciate the time, brother. I know you used to be on Twitter, uh, that Kobe something. You want? Do you even know what it is anymore? Did, did, nah, bro, I don't really use Twitter that okay. often, bro. But uh, you know, I uh. Kind of, kind of try to stay away from social media too much, you know. It's probably a smart idea, honestly. There's yeah. so many, there's so many negative people out there. You want to just surround yourself with positive people in this world, man. Yeah, you know, and we're involved in gambling and deal with a lot of cash and stuff. So I try to try to stay out of the the public's eye a little bit. Yeah, so I appreciate you doing a 50 minute podcast with me. Uh, you know what I mean? What can I do, man? You're my man. We've been together for a long time, so hopefully many more years to come. Yes, sir. You guys know it. Well, for all the fans that have to battle, thank you guys so much for tuning in to this very special edition. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Make sure you guys go back and listen to it again because when this guy talks, uh, you should write down what he's saying. You should listen and try to apply it here in uh, 2019. So make sure you follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. Go to bestfightpicks.com for the plays. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Hook up those five-star reviews. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.